The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Acme Packing Company podcast feed. This is Intercepted. I'm Justice Mosqueda, and I'm joined here by Ben Albright. Say what's up to the people, Ben. Hey, what's up to the people? So Ben covers the Broncos for KOA in uh, in Denver. Um, it's their it's the uh, flagship station for the Broncos, correct? Guest part of the Denver Broncos. Uh, we have the broadcasting rights. We cover the games and, and all that stuff. There we go. So I figured no one I knew could cover the Denver Broncos the same way that, that Ben can. Um, I have a couple questions up front. How, how is, okay, I, we're looking at all this from afar. The Sean Payton stuff. How How is it going in Denver so far? Are, are we slowly building towards something? I know recently they've gotten rid of, you know, Frank Clark. And Randy Gregory, right? They're they're you know who are supposed to be there, or at least they're paying. We're paying them like they're pass rushers, um, starting starting caliber pass rushers. The results on the field haven't necessarily been great, but is there momentum building, or is this feeling like the the second coming of the Hackett era? Well, I mean, it's a little bit, the results are worse than the hack era. It looks more professional, but the results are worse. So, you know, I mean, I guess I don't know. Does it matter if you lose the race in a Ferrari or a clown car? I, I, don't, I don't really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know if you're, if you're losing the race, you lose the race. I think, uh, you know, I, there's the potential to build something here, but there's so much that's a giant question mark. You know, how long is Russell Wilson really going to be here? I don't think much beyond this year. Um, you know, what, what are they building here? What is the identity of this football team? Because for the last decade, it's been the defense and, and now they're the worst defense in the league. Uh, and it happened overnight. Um, you know, I, I offensively, uh, they scored more points, but you know, when you really start to break it down, it's, it's not really that much different, uh, than it was last year. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it doesn't feel like there's momentum. It, it feels like it's been a decade of futility post Super Bowl. And, uh, it, it feels like the fans are clamoring for a strip it down rebuild, which is another four years for at least three of futility. So, and that's assuming you get the rebuild right with the right quarterback. So, um, you know, I, I it, it feels that, that said, I mean, there's palpable optimism that this is a winnable game. Uh, so, you know, for whatever, whatever, uh, whatever delusions are going around, whichever ones of those is delusional, take your pick. Yeah, I, I feel like Broncos fans and Packers fans are kind of feeling the same thing, right? Where it's like, hey, we, we got an easy one this week. Maybe we can get the easy one. And one of us is going to come away severely disappointed. I don't I don't think Packers fans are super confident coming into this game either. Though the bad blood stuff as far as you guys see it in Denver, 
Um, I this is, I'm, I know I'm everywhere. Nathaniel Hackett. I guess we'll start at that that point. How was the Nathaniel Hackett era viewed from you know Denver's perspective? Because I think from a national perspective, they're like, okay, obviously this didn't go right. Um, I don't even think the new owner made made the Hackett hire, so it's like, okay, maybe the new owner wants his own guy, all that stuff. Um, I know when you and I were down there in Indianapolis for the combine and stuff, uh, shout out to your white suit that you were wearing to bars, by the way. I was talking to a couple of NFL coaches who, you know, had previous experience with Hackett. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. I tried to talk to Packers guys and all of them were like, he's the man. He's the man. He's the dude really well respected within the coaching community in the NFL. And then I ask, okay, so then like what happened last year that it was so bad that he got canned in one season and you just get a whole lot of like shoulder shrugs. Like, like how are, how are people in Denver? How did people in Denver receive that whole thing? I think the fans all blame Hackett. Um, I think internally. They don't want to blame Russ, right? I mean, part of it is Russ, Russ's extension doesn't even start until next season. I mean, they basically just gave him a signing bonus. So if you want to blame Russ, that's a whole lot of like, you're, you're, basically deciding not to be competitive until like 2025 at that point. Right. So like you have to blame the coach. Right. I, I think the, the fans blame Hackett. I think there's media and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's people inside the league that, that recognize that there was blame to go around. Uh, the fans blame Hackett and George Payton, which is bizarre to me because a lot of these things that get hung around George Payton's neck aren't even George Payton decisions. Um, you know, the Hackett hire in the first place was obviously with the intent to, to lure Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, the Broncos may or may not have uh, been golfing with, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, um, it's, it, it just happens to be a coincidence that they announced the Russell Wilson trade five seconds after Aaron Rodgers signed that contract in Green Bay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, they were working both those two. I can tell I, I, I mean, I know the whole story behind the scenes. They were working both those two hardcore. And, uh, and you know, Russ was plan B. If Rodgers uh, – uh, and they found out right before the combine, uh, thanks to – some uh we'll call him uh we'll call him anonymous and unnamed uh reporter who I have it on good authority is incredibly handsome and well spoken um but you know uh that that reporter may have leaked to the team that that Rogers was going back to Green Bay and he was already telling people he was going back to Green Bay and they they pivoted to Russ and got that done that week um I'll say I I think the main culprit here is just that Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson cannot coexist on the same offense. Like they, what they do is antithetical. And so I think trying to combine the two and have some kind of hybrid offense uh, didn't work. And then the combination of that and their leadership styles and not having any dogs in that locker room. I mean, you just didn't, you had a bunch, you had Russ who's toxically positive. You had Justin Simmons, who's the world's greatest nice guy. Uh, you had Nate Hackett who wants to be everybody's buddy. And you just, you just had a bunch of toxic positivity, you know, and everybody's like, Oh no, it's going to get better. It'll be fine. And you didn't have anybody that's like, you know, what the bleep are we doing here and holding people accountable. And I think that, that I think all those things came together and made it a disaster last year. Hackett was a first time head coach. He was a little in over his head. Um, but I'd say I like the guy. I mean, I wish him nothing but success. I mean, he's, He's the world's nicest guy. Um, and, and I can tell you there's a stark difference between uh, how easy it was to cover the team with him and how difficult it is to cover with Sean Payton. But um, I, you know, I mean, I, I hope Hackett gets another crack at it. Cause I, I, I do think that what happened was just a 
perfect hurricane of holy crap, you know. Um, you had you had a quarterback who'd fallen off and needs, and, and now we understand needs a very specific set of circumstances where he could be very great, but he needs that exact circumstances to be great. Um, and you know, trying to combine you know, what Hackett wanted to do with what Russ wanted to do was an abject disaster. They gave Russ uh, too much rain, you know, to run everything, and um, you know, he's I'm like. I like Russ, but he's kind of a dork and ever, nobody's motivated. So it's like when Jameis did the E to W thing, you know, you're just like, wait, what, <laughs> you know, like, like it, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't resonate with a lot of people. Uh, and so there's, there's that. And then there's, you know, there were execution errors. There were, um, you know, there were all kinds of different things that, 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 that went on. I just, I think that anytime you try to combine things, it never goes well. And you can go, it, Broncos fans already have an example. Of this. You can go back to Peyton Manning and Gary Kubiak, right? When they right. tried to combine those two offenses, it was a disaster. Uh, and then they kind of switched back to stuff that Peyton Manning did, and it started. It worked enough to be able to get them to, you know, get them a Super Bowl and, and go from there. But early on in the season and in training camp, they were trying to get Peyton Manning to run Gary Kubiak stuff, and it just it was not it was not working. Like Peyton Manning couldn't sprint out there to get to hand the stretch off, you know, like right. he was too old at that point. It was just laughable. So I think that's part of it. I think you have to identify what it is that a quarterback does well and, and cater everything to that. And, you know, Hackett in his system, it works well for, for some guys. Russ is not one of them. And, you know, in the end there's that. So I think, uh, I, I think that's all that, you know, that led it to it. I don't think Russ will be back after this year, maybe one more year. We'll see. Um, but you know, I, th- I think they're going to clean house and it's Sean Payton's show to run. And I, the early returns on that haven't been great either. Yeah. You, you said, um, you know, their, their personalities didn't really match and stuff like that. And, you know, Payton and Russ are more contrast, but like, is that something that they needed? I know, I know they talked about Russ had like his own office in the building or something like that. And they're not going to have that anymore. All that stuff. Like what, what's the difference between that dynamic now? Well, I mean, a lot of Russ's personal staff isn't in the building anymore. That's really the difference. Almost every quarterback in the league has their own office in the building. I mean, Kenny Pickett has his own office in the Steelers building, but nobody talks about that. Well, you've um, been there for like eight years or something like that, right? Kenny, right. <laughs> he's been in the pit. Yeah, right. I mean, he's been in the building forever. It's, you know, but, but I mean, I mean that's what I'm saying. Like most most quarterbacks, especially that caliber, have their own office in the building, and that you know they got stuff they got to run out of there and everything else. And I think part of that was overblown. A lot of Russ's staff was in the building early because they moved to Denver. They didn't have their own office established here yet, so they just kind of used his right. And you know, I think there was an over reliance on that, and it created some resentment. I think there was some resentment that Russ's contract caused people to get moved on from that maybe were well liked in the locker room you know Bradley Chubb and Draymond Jones were buddies uh and they couldn't afford to extend Bradley because of you know the Russ thing and you know and all I mean that's that was the internal thought the reality is they were just weren't you know Bradley had been injured and not as productive uh and then they let Draymond go and they bring in Zach Allen and all this kind of stuff and so I think there was I think there was some there or is some uh was is however you look at it resentment at Russ you know for those kinds of things because of the money um, that came from ownership. You know, a lot of people blame George Payton for the Russell Wilson extension, but that came from ownership. New ownership was taking over yeah. and they said, Hey, get him extended. We don't want to reset the market and cost ourselves extra money when Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, all these other guys get signed, uh, you know, to bigger deals. And then it just costs us more money for this guy. So sign him now. So he did. And it turned out to be a mistake because you hadn't seen him play yet. And, you know, and it was, it was predictably blew up in their face. Um, There's a lot of this. And then, and then trading off draft assets. I mean, you traded a lot for us. You traded even more for Sean Payton, a first and a second rounder for Sean Payton. I mean, you got a third back, but you know, whatever. And, and so, you know, I think leaving the cupboard bare, you have overpriced quarterback who's in the decline, who has to win now in order to justify the contract. And then you, you know, you have to move on from some other guys and you don't have the, the draft picks to replace the, you know, what's outgoing. It creates a problem. And that's, that's sort of where the Broncos are now. 
As far as the Hackett comments, do you think that has anything to do with some of these similar offenses scoring so many points on the Broncos early on in the season? I know. Um, so if you had, I mean, my yeah, yeah, you think so? So, so oh, yeah. this is this is how I perceive it, right? Um, this is kind of the timeline of everything, right? One, Peyton replaces Hackett after one season, pretty big deal. Hackett ends up going to to uh, New York under uh, Bob Sala, who you know was roommates with Matt Lafleur, all that stuff. So, like, there's connections there. Um, Peyton ends up saying something along the lines of like that was one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history, right? That creates a you know some level of blowback. Then we get into week three. Miami Dolphins win seventy to twenty with Mike McDaniel calling plays. Mike McDaniel obviously you know had been with. He had been with Lafleur, I think, at three different stops. Maybe no, no three, because he was at Houston, he was at Washington, right. he was at. And Salah was there stops as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, the next week, Chicago Bears get their win, right, thirty-one twenty-eight, um, with uh, Getzey, you know, the yep. Packers' former quarterback coach, calling the plays there. And then the week after that, thirty-one points. It's actually Hackett calling the plays for the Jets. They end up winning. Um, so you have that stretch of games where you know it seems like this style of offense cannot be stopped by uh by Peyton or at least you know Peyton's team I know he's not calling defensive plays and stuff you think there's bad blood there that maybe the share over preparing looking maybe more than one week up to this matchup or sharing trade secrets or something like that that is leading to a lot of points being scored on this guy Oh, I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that all of Richmond Flowers' clients and and all that are uh, are 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 are, are, are uh, huddling together, all the QB collected guys, and and doing everything that they can. They but sent out a tweet earlier. I know. Or, they sent out earlier this tweet. week. Yeah. They they, so QB collective, if you guys don't know, um, if you listen to the the athletic podcast that they had, where it was about all the play callers, right? The you know the Shanahan tree guys, they called them the piss boys at one point, right? Because they were doing all the underling stuff in Houston. The the piss boys has transitioned to QB Collective. That that's kind of who they are. So that whole group, you know, Lafleur, McVeigh, Shanahan, um, McDaniel, everybody uh, off their tree, yeah, Betsy, yeah, every everyone. I mean, they're kind of help each other out in the off season, uh, come together a couple times. That that's what we're talking about there. And they tweeted out, um, you know, that, that quote from, from uh, Peyton leading up to this week, which I don't think is a mistake considering, you know, the Packers are coming off of a buy and LaFleur is going to have him, you know, on, on the flip end of that. Yeah. And that's the thing, like Sean, I think the thing it, it's twofold. One, Sean Payton came in here and said, we're shutting all this down, all the interviews, all this kind of stuff and, and, and all this. And, uh, we're going to be anonymous donors. We're not going to sit here, you know, broadcasting our intentions and all this kind of stuff. And then the very first thing he does is run out and run his mouth off to Jarrett Bell at the USA Today. And, and of course it, it, it's in print and all that. And he paints a target on this football team. And, um, you know, so that, 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 you know, kneecapped him right there. And, uh, you know, and then, and then of course, as soon as those people get a hold of it, you know, and that's just something you don't do with a coach. You don't, you just don't slander another coach. Like there's no need to do that. You know, Nate Hackett, uh, had a rough situation where they had all those injuries last year. I mean, uh, it was like a record amount of money that was on the IR, uh, and everything else that went wrong. Everybody in the world saw it. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody looked at the Broncos last year and like, well, you know, maybe, uh, I think everybody saw that it was a disaster. Everybody saw the fight on television, the, the, you know, the, with between the uh, starting offensive lineman and the backup quarterback because the offensive line wouldn't pick the starting quarterback up after they kept letting him get sacked. 
Uh, I think everybody saw all that, you know, and so I think that, you know, Sean Payton didn't need to go out there and 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 stoke the fire a little bit. And he did for no reason, you know, just just his, his own arrogance, his own ego. And and so, you know, what happened to T- uh, Target got painted on his back and now he's reaping the reward of that. You know, now he's he's reaping what he sowed. And uh, I, I fully expect there to be a little bit more, you know, sense of urgency. I don't know. You know, like I said, I, I don't know if the Packers have the horses to get it done. We'll see. But. Uh, as far as the rest of it, the rest of it goes, I mean, yeah, there are teams that are going to form, and I know Miami ran it up on purpose. The the Miami game was interesting because it's not like they blew them out in the beginning, right? It was like it just slowly kept building, and even the backups were scoring on them. So that was what held me back from saying, yeah, they're running up the score. Plus, you know, if McDaniel wanted to put him in the in the record book, he, he had the opportunity to put him in the record book and decided not to. So. I, I think he did that on purpose, though, because who wants to be the second worst? Like, if it's if it's an all-time record, then you're a record thing. So isn't it even more insulting that I held up on you at the end, you know, and just yeah. didn't do it? Didn't go get those 10 more yards and three more points that I needed to put you in the records on both? It was do, it was twofold, though. It wasn't just – the Miami thing wasn't just McDaniel. It was also Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, who had been fired yeah. by the Broncos a couple of years earlier. And then Sean Payton interviewed him and didn't bring him back as defensive coordinator because he didn't want to pay the price tag. And so, um, you know, I think it was a combination of both those things. But it was, yeah, I mean, you had backups there. Mike White was out there making it rain, throwing touchdowns. It didn't matter if it was Mike White, <laughs> if it was Jack White, if it was Barry White out there, it would have been would have been making it rain, throwing touchdowns. So it was, um, you know, it's just a bad situation. And uh, very, I tell you what, very demoralizing around Denver, which is, uh, you know, a proud franchise. I mean, they didn't, you know, when Pat Bowlen was running things, they they, they had more Super Bowl appearances than losing seasons. Right. And especially the early season stuff, Denver's always been really good in the early season because of that elevation, right? We've talked about it a couple of times, you know, luckily the Packers, you know, don't have to face them in the first two weeks of the year, but like the first two weeks of the year in Denver, it's usually like playing Nick Saban's Alabama in terms of a win percentage standpoint. Right. And they ended up losing both of those in close games to the Raiders and commanders. Um, We'll see how the Packers end up uh, handling, handling, uh, you know, the elevation this week. One one quick thing I wanted to ask you, because um, you've seen the Fangio stuff, you know, in person, and I'm sure with Denver it looked great, right? Um, does that defense work in the NFL? Is Fangio the only guy who can call it? I mean, I feel like half of the league right now is running the Fangio stuff, and we're still trying to figure out, like, wait, is this like a one-off thing? Like, they're the only team that can do it? Like, it, it feels very, like, uh, when everyone was trying to replicate the Seattle Seahawks and everyone was like, oh, we, all we need is long corners, right? Like Richard Sherman was a fifth round pick. We'll just get some long corners. And no one realized like, yeah, dude, the thing that makes it go is they have four guys on the line who can rush the passer. They're only sending four and they're not paying those guys hardly anything because Michael Bennett signed for like nothing. Cliff Averill was there for like nothing. Um, who else was there? Bruce Irvin was a a, a rookie draft pick, right? So, you know, the real key was getting that pass rush. It's like, is the real key to this Fangio defense to have Vic Fangio call in place? Is like that the only way this thing works? I think it's part of it. You got to have an elite secondary too. And you got to have a secondary that's willing to tackle and willing to do run fit type stuff. That's that's a part of it. The other part of this is I think the other people that that run it don't don't line up at the proper depth. You've got to be a little more shallow in that defense because it, it surrenders the run. So you're going to be your safeties and your you know are going to be clo- a lot closer to the line than, than normally um, than, than normally you would be running you know running a, a tradition. And that's been part of the problem this year is that uh, Vance is supposed to be running Vic's defense, except that he's running it with how the, having them lined up the way he's used to having them lined up. 
And so they've been out of position and they've only recently gotten that corrected in the last couple of weeks. Like that's, that's why the defense has started to get better. You got players back and they started to get to the right depth pre-snap. Um, so th- that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, it requires, it's, it's a lot of tight front and it's a, it's a lot of middle of field open, you know, C4, C6 combo coverage type stuff, but you, the safety depth is vital. Uh, to that defense. I mean, you wouldn't think it's that vital, but it is. And, 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 uh, and then having corners that can wrap up and tackle and, and, uh, you know, having K1 Williams out, who's one of the best run fit corners uh, out of the nickel in the league, um, has just been kind of huge, you know? Uh, and so once this could, because the idea is to bait you into running with what appears to be a light box on, on early downs. So you'll run and do lower EPA plays. And then on third and six plus, then they, then they come after you with a zero, right? And the idea is to play Ben don't break and then boggy down to the red zone and force you to either turn it over or kick a field goal. And, you know, that's that defense was successful in Chicago, it was successful in Denver. It's going to be successful in Miami uh, with Vic running it. But you have to if you're going to run it, you have to understand that, that, that pre, there's so much that goes into that pre snap alignment and like your depth that <laughs> that affects the play and where you're going to be when you're when you're running to make a hit or when you're you know, when you're, you're showcasing something. So. I think, you know, everybody's trying to run that defense right now. It's kind of why I wish the Broncos would get away from it. Everybody's trying to run it. And and I think, right. you know, let, let Vance go back to doing what Vance Joseph does, which is C1, C3 stuff and not, you know, not, not running, you know, big stuff that he doesn't even know how to run. Um, and, and, and zig when everybody else is zagging. Um, because once, you know, once everybody runs it, then the market inefficiency isn't there anymore, you know. Uh, and so I, I, you know, for me, if I'm the Broncos, that's what I do. But regardless, um, I, I think it is replicable. I think people just need to pay more attention to where Vic lines these guys up pre-snap because I think that's the biggest difference between when Fangio runs it and anyone else does. The the thing about alignment that drives Packers fans crazy is the cornerbacks, and part of it is not even their fault. I I, I think um, we as analysts probably got to do a better job of explaining like offensive formations and like what you're going to get out of that. Like if you're running, if the offense is in bunch, right. You can't really press all those guys. One, because two of them are off the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a whole lot of traffic. You get a little pick play. That's wide open touchdown, all that stuff. So Packers fans freak out that they're getting off coverage, but it's part of it. Um, One, one other thing I want to talk about before we like really preview this game, you brought up Jordan love. In uh, the preseason, I can't remember where I saw this. I remember I saw it from you, though, specifically. And uh, it was in the context of two quarterbacks. I can't remember who the other quarterback is. Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter. Uh, You're looking. Oh, shit. Are you going to go? You're going to go two for two and oh? On this one, I am going to go two and zero on this one. There's a lot of people that are going to look really bad when this is when this one's over in my in my comment section. They don't go back and delete those comments, but um, you, yeah. you said I, I, I want to. I didn't explain what it was, so I want to say it up front. Um, you said basically like I don't think either of them are going to be the quarterbacks for this team. This next correct. Year. Yeah, and, and I mean Jordan Love may get another year, but I I mean at this point it would, with it, with the loaded quarterback class that you have and probably where you're going to be picking, you're probably going to have an option of whether or not to take uh, somebody like a Jordan Travis, you know, and and, and go from there. And, uh, and and a Jordan Travis will beat out a Jordan Love, um, you know, fairly quickly. So I that, that's you know that's beside the point. Atlanta's already they've been shopping around for quarterbacks for a while. I mean I think everybody knows they Desmond Ritter got the token year this year just because, but uh, they were they were heavily invested in Lamar Jackson sweepstakes and and you know and then, and then in the end they couldn't couldn't do anything because they knew that uh, Baltimore would just match whatever anybody put out there in terms of a contract and you can't right. do really do poison pills anymore. So that kind of created a problem. Um, but with Love, I mean, you know, Love's gotten lucky on some things. He's gotten unlucky on some things. I mean, the supporting cast is young. I think if you had a veteran supporting cast, we might be talking about something a little bit different. But when you've got a combination of a young supporting cast and uh, and, and, a, and a quarterback that's still kind of like still learning on the job, 
um, that's it's really a, it's really a rough go. It's it's really rough, and he's he's gotten lucky with some some throws getting open. You know, guys late and and you know, kind of Tebow ended up with the the wins there at the end after having disastrous first three quarter type games. So we'll see. I mean, the Broncos defense has been porous. If anybody can make you look like a Hall of Famer, it's the people that made uh, Justin Fields look like Pat Mahomes. <laughs> and and lost to uh, to uh, Zach Wilson. I uh, don't forget that one. That. I can't. I can't, even talk, I can't even bring myself to vocalize that. It's, it was. I had to watch that. I had to cover that. I, look, look. I've covered horrific quarterback performances. I was like during the COVID year. I was one of like twenty people in the stadium for the Kendall Hinton game. I was live for that. No. I have seen poor quarterback performances. All right. Oh my goodness! I had forgotten about that. Yeah, they put it. Put his QB wristband or whatever in the Hall of Fame. Also, um, before we get in preview this game, last, 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 last thing. What did the Broncos what what type of deal with the devil did they make to have the Kansas City Chiefs twice in three weeks? The Packers are sandwiched in between Kansas City Chiefs games for them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just a byproduct of uh the schedule makers no longer caring that the Denver Broncos even exist after the putrid performances they've done over the last, you know, roughly decade. So um it's not just that. I mean, you get the, the Chiefs, you get the Packers, uh, and you get the Bills in there too, I think. Um you it's, know, it's, it's, like, it's bye week, then it's Monday night football, Sunday night football. Yeah, I guess uh, prime time against Buffalo. So uh, you know, I just uh, I get to be uh, I get to go to make the rounds on all the podcasts and everything else, and be like, yeah, well, we're we're probably going to lose. It's probably going to be horrific. Uh, you know, bet the over on your team, uh, the first half over. The, you know, <laughs> so it's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be one of those. Goodness gracious! All right, uh, let's take it to break, and then we'll break down this game. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back. All right. I want to talk about this Broncos offense first and foremost, right? Um, Joe Lombardi, who got a whole lot of crap uh, for his offense in um, Los Angeles, he was kind of thought of as a guy who was probably calling quick game a little bit too much, but that kind of fits with what Sean Payton wanted to do, right? Like they wanted to run all those weak side option plays and stuff like that with the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees. I kind of think that works with Russ, as dumb as that sounds, in terms of the fit there, um, just because not a lot of it is over the middle, right? And for all the talk that we had, what, a, de- a decade ago now about, you know, Russ played behind that Wisconsin line and that Wisconsin line, all those guys were, you know, six, five and above. We don't have to worry about him being small. Like there's clearly something going on with 
his inability to kind of make some of the routine throws over the middle that other guys do. So that's why you see a lot of, you know, stuff to the sideline, either shallow or deep. Um, how How is this Lombardi slash Peyton offense looking like in Denver right now? Well, I mean, there's a lot more dink and dunk stuff. You got, you got the running backs on option routes, um, you know, and that's, that's certainly been a thing uh, they, they throw a lot to the backs. Um, there's, there's some stuff they do that I'm like, okay, this, this could work. And then there's some things they do that I'm like, what are we even doing here? They keep trying this stupid screen to the wide side of the field with the fullback lined up all the way out uh, against the sideline. And it, it doesn't work. It, everybody knows what's coming. Um, you know, you've got two blockers for three defenders and, and you're asking Jerry Judy to make a guy miss while the while waiting on the ball to get there. And it's, it's, it's just stupid. So, you know, you'll see two or three of those in this game and it'll be a chance for you guys to tee off and, uh, and make a play. Um, I wish they'd run some more deep over stuff. They just don't, you know, you'd, you'd figure they would, um, but, but, but they don't. And, and I think that's part of the thing. I mean, Russ Wilson is not Drew Brees, you know, Drew, Drew excelled at the quick game. He excelled off the slant. Yeah. He excelled off those things. Russell Wilson's at his best when you've got uh six man protection. Uh, and then you, you know, you, you, he finds a way to escape out the back door and, and buy time on scramble drill and, and get and find a, a receiver getting, getting north and he can put the ball in the bucket, right? Like that's, that's where Russ's bread and butter is. That's what's made him a, you know, a borderline Hall of Famer, um, you know, throughout his career. And they just don't have any of that. They don't have receivers that can separate. They don't have an offensive line that can block. Uh, they have a, a run game that works really well. So naturally they abandon it. And, and, you know, they, they call plays that don't, that don't maximize his strengths. And, and, you know, Joe Lombardi, I, I've never been a big fan of his. I wasn't a fan of his in Detroit when he ended up, when he wound up getting fired. I wasn't a fan of his in, in LA when he wound up getting fired. I wasn't a fan of him when he got his career start as a defensive line coach, which is what he was. He was a defensive line coach and defensive assistant, uh, before, before anything else. Then he was, then he was a tight ends coach. And anybody who knows anything about NFL coaching staff knows the tight ends coach is the coffee getter. And then, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, gradually somehow worked his way into being the quarterback's coach for Sean Payton. Uh, and then, you know, his de facto, his title OC. I mean, Sean Payton runs the offense. Joe Lombardi's there right. and he has a title, but Sean Payton runs the offense. And and you'll see, it's just, it, it's the same Sean Payton offense, just with a quarterback that's not capable of running it. And I'm like, that's been my thing. Like I was worried when they hired Sean Payton. I was like, are you getting this guy? Or are you getting a guy who got the, who has Mike McCarthy's resume because of Drew Brees, you know? And it, it's starting to look a lot more like the latter. It's starting to look like a guy who got carried somewhere by a top five all kind quarterback. And you go back and you look at Drew Brees. Drew Brees was Drew Brees before he got to Sean Payton, right? I mean, you go look at Drew Brees in a Marty Schottenheimer offense and on a per throw basis, he was, you know, he was still the same guy. The difference is Sean Payton just let him throw 250 more times a year so that the raw numbers looked more eye popping. Uh, than than Marty did, so you know I, I I I'm I'm worried because Sean Payton has never developed a quarterback. He got his play calling duties revoked when he was an OC under Jim Fossil. He went and became the passing game coordinator under Bill Parcells for a minute, and then came back as a head coach of the Saints. Got Drew Brees, and it, it all took off from there. But he didn't develop anybody. I mean, the quarterbacks he drafted were bad: Garrett Grayson, Ian Book, Tommy Stevens, uh, one of the McCowns. Uh, you know, I mean, you just go back and you look at the quarterbacks that he had. I mean, Bridgewater had a little four game run there that was all right. Um, Jameis Winston looked bad. Taysom Hill was his hand-picked guy, and, you know, he's still a gadget guy. It's just uh, the quarterback play outside of Drew Brees has been bad for Sean Payton. And so I'm I'm concerned that, you know, they went out and paid all this for somebody whose resume doesn't match his own resume. Right. I want to talk to you about Jaleel McLaughlin. Um, Jaleel. How, how excited is everyone in Denver about him? Because I've seen him. All right, so the, the, the first exposure to him, right, is probably, I don't know, three weeks ago, I see everyone picking him up 
in in fantasy or something like that. I'm not even a big fantasy guy. I just saw he was, you know, like number one name. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? I'm like, okay, he's going to start undrafted rookie. Sure. Why not? Like he's going to get playing time. This guy's scoring a ton of points. He's getting a bunch of yards. Like he might, is he like the most productive guy on the offense at this point? Uh, outside of Marvin Mims, who they barely ever use. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's the thing. The, the, the two best players on offense right now are Jaleel McLaughlin and, and Marvin Mims. And they, they don't use either nearly as much as they should. Um, McLaughlin was a guy, I mean, I noticed him in training camp. I was, I was excited when we got him when undrafted. I was like, Oh, sweet. Like, I like this guy. I've seen a few, a couple of games. I like what he brings to the table. He got there in camp and he was clearly, clearly the most explosive back. Like he's got a gear just nobody else has. And he's got vision too, which is nice for a, for a speed guy. A lot of times, one of the things that you deal with when, when speedy running backs get into the league is uh, they, they don't have the patience and the vision to let the blocking set up. Yeah. He's got that. So, so that's, that serves him pretty well. Uh, as far as the rest of it goes, I mean, he's a, he's a heck of a weapon. The problem is he's, you know, he's five, five, eight, a buck 60. And uh, you know, so when pass pro situations come into play, uh, you, you get some snickering from, from some defensive ends that are like, yeah, you're going to block me, buddy. Okay. I remember Phil Lindsay. Um, and that's sort of, that's sort of the thing. So uh, there, there are some limitations there. Like when he's on the field, you know, he's either getting the ball or he's a dummy route guy because you know, it, it's right. it, putting him in pass pro is an episode in futility. He's willing, but I mean, you know, I can bowl him over and that's a problem. Um, as far as, uh, as, as far as the rest of it goes, I mean, he's highly productive, um, with, with Javante having been hurt and it's kind of not the same guy since he came back and, you know, Samaj P. Ryan's hit or miss, um, you know, one minute he's putting the hammer to you and then one minute, you know, he's, he's not seeing it. So, um, that, that's been kind of tough. Um, I, I'm a big fan. Like I said, I've been, I've been talking about him since the preseason. I think everybody, the fantasy, uh, the fantasy owners are all over him now. <laughs> since you were down there. Um, you know, watching the early Broncos stuff. Do you remember anything about Emmanuel Wilson? He's Green Bay's third running back right now. He came, he was, he had like a cup of coffee. It looks like a month. Um, maybe he was just there for rookie bit camp. Uh, or I don't even know if he made it to OTAs, honestly, from Fort Valley State. He was an undrafted rookie. Um, got out of there quick, ended up sticking with Green Bay. And now he's their third running back. They just got rid of Patrick Taylor, who's kind of like their, third down back type of guy um so now you know if Aaron Jones can't go full force this week with his hamstring Emmanuel Wilson might end up getting a couple of looks people are wondering you know what what are we getting out of him because we got to see him a little bit against I don't know third fourth team defenses um but that's pretty much been it we could see him much because Jaleel, I mean, ran him out of town, basically. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there, was, there was once you had that Jaleel out there, it was like, okay, why are we giving reps to anybody else? And that's sort of the that's sort of the thing. I mean, we had a crowded backfield here, um, you know, throughout training camp because Sean Payton brought in a bunch of his own guys, you know, Tony Jones and guys like that as well. And so, um, you know, and, and it, it was tough to get everybody the snaps, you know, to kind of weed it out. So I don't, you know, as far as live action goes, haven't seen that much of him. I know about as much as you do. Um, you know, I just, I, I know that they, they liked him, but you know, ultimately he was expendable just because they had, you know, 15 guys ahead of him or whatever. As far as the Packers defense goes, um, looks like they should be pretty healthy this week. The two big question marks were, uh, Quay Walker and Darnell Savage, two guys who dropped out against the, uh, Las Vegas Raiders on Monday night football. They've both been practicing this week. Uh, Quay didn't practice on Monday, but he has on Wednesday and Thursday, which is the day we're recording this. So I assume he's going to end up practicing on Friday too. The The one guy who's going to be out is Devondre Campbell, who's still dealing with that ankle injury. It means Isaiah McDuffie's going to step up there um, at inside linebacker, but everyone else should be good to go. The, the big question mark, I guess, is uh, Eric Stokes, if he's going to come back or not. And 
what role he even plays. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows what's going to go on there because Russell Douglas and Jair Alexander have been playing outside corner and Nixon has been playing in the slot full time. Now what do you do if Stokes comes in? Does that move Douglas into the slot position that he hasn't really practiced all season? Um, do you move Douglas to the bench? I mean, I, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, maybe they just activate Stokes next week. I think his uh, 21 day practice window closes next Tuesday. So they don't necessarily have to make uh, that decision before this game. The Denver Broncos, as far as their defense goes, the the big thing on paper, um, I see, I've seen a couple of these Broncos games. Shout out to Pat Sertan fighting for his life um, off the rip. I feel bad for the guy. I, I can't remember feeling as bad for a defensive back, as bad as I feel about Sertan since Minka Fitzpatrick that one year that Dolphins were clearly tanking, right? At least in the first half of the season. And he was like, yo, dude, you got to trade me out of here. You're going to ruin my career. That's kind of how I feel about Pat Sertan right now. I'm I'm shocked that he isn't quibbling in the media. Um, he must want to be there long-term. As, as far as the Denver Broncos, though, the one thing I want to highlight is their edge rusher situation, right? Which is... Um, you know, we already mentioned Clark and Gregory are gone. So now we have some new guys. Nick Bonito, who's actually, you know, pretty solid um, from, from what I've been able to see. Jonathan Cooper is kind of meh to me. Um, and then their third guy is Ronnie Perkins, who played like 80% of his NFL career snaps in the last game. Mind you, Ooh. he was a, a draft pick like three years ago for the New England Patriots. So there's not like there's Bonito. And then it's like not a whole lot of experience outside of that. I mean, Cooper's played in some games, but I, I don't think he's game breaking um, by any point. Perkins is a guy who's like, he's the third edge on an NFL team. He's never, ever got like, he's not gotten playing time for most of his career. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you're forgetting a name. He's going to be back this week. And that's uh that's Baron Browning. Um, so okay. Baron Brown should, should be able to come back and, and he was projected to be the starter opposite Randy Gregory before he got hurt. Um, so that's, that's going to be big for them. Benito has turned into something in year two. He was a speed only guy year one. He's, he's learned a couple yeah. of moves and he started to get some productivity. John Cooper, who's been starting on the other side, uh, was a teammate of Browning's at Ohio state. He's more of an edge setter, uh, but he's not really, you know, not really much of a, uh, a pass rusher, uh, in terms of, in terms of some of that stuff. So he's, he's, you know, he's, He's serviceable, but he's really, you know, if you're if you're stacking a roster, he's really like a four, you know, like he's really like your third or right. fourth guy you bring in for a few snaps. And you already mentioned Perkins. Um, so they're, they're hoping that Baron Browning will provide some spark in terms of being able to get after the quarterback besides Benito. Uh, there's been some talk about maybe Drew, moving Drew Sanders out there to the edge temporarily um, just to get him some reps and get him after it since he's, you know, six four two sixty and uh, has experience getting after the quarterback and hasn't really looked that good as, a, as an inside backer so far, more athlete than football player. So uh, that, that's been the problem. Though. Broncos, I mean, it's been a problem even with the Fangio defense. The Fangio defense is designed to send the least amount of people you need to to get after the quarterback and drop everybody else back. And so naturally you're going to have less pressure. And so that's sort of been a thing uh, is that you need elite and elite rushers out of the four or five that you're sending, because uh, if you don't, then that back end has got to hold up even longer. And the Broncos had the horses when they had uh, Kareem in his prime, Justin Simmons, Pat Sertan, Ron Darby, Kwan Williams, uh, Bryce Callahan for the half a season he would ever play, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. When they had those kind of players, then, then yeah, they were, they were, they were, the back end could hold up. But now you've got Damari Mathis, who is, is just been brutal out there. They already let go of a saying Bassey. Uh, Caden Stearns got hurt. Kareem is a shell of himself. You got like PJ Locke out there. 
Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's the, the, the secondary can't hold up the same. And if the front seven's not getting home, it just makes for a bad, a miserable experience all the way around. So uh, the good news for the Broncos, I mean, like I said, the Baron Browning thing, um, but still, I mean, even Zach Allen has not been what they thought he was going to be when they signed him. And then, you know, you've got Purcell, who's been hurt at the nose, DJ Jones, who's uh, who's out for this game, I believe. Um, and then you've got uh, Jonathan Harris, who's kind of just a guy. It's another guy like Cooper, who's probably fourth or fifth on the depth chart nor- in a normal year with a normal team, but has been elevated to starter because of necessity. Shout out to Drew Sanders. I coached him at a youth camp. I, he he owes everything to me. Third third round pick. Um, he, he came in with a chip on his shoulder, man. I tell you, he was mad. He got picked in the third. He was upset about it because we did. Uh, we were doing the interviews when the draft picks got picked, right? And yeah. so, like right after they talked to the team, then they jump on with us. Man, he was not happy. I will just say that he was not happy. He was picked in the third round. Yeah the uh, the Hood River Oregon back channels. Uh, he he he's from Oregon. His pops was a head coach up there before they moved to Texas. Uh, said that he he was full blown expect he he was expecting to probably go late first. Um, yeah, what he thought. So that is a uh, if you want to go look at the uh, the numbers associated with those contracts, that is a pretty stark drop down. Um, Sanders was a guy who was originally at Alabama, was supposed to be a pass rusher, played pass rusher for Nick Saban, ended up transferring to uh, Arkansas and playing stack linebacker for playing time and stuff like that. So that's kind of where that, uh, you know, he he might play the edge. He might not. And, you know, the Broncos um, are coming off of that extended break too, because they just came off of Thursday night football. So maybe we see a little bit of that. You mentioned, um, you mentioned uh, Damari Mathis. I believe that's how you say his name. I just know him as 27, the guy who quit against the Dolphins. Oh boy. That was some bad film he threw out there. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's been ugly all year for him. It's, it's been bad. He, he started off brutally bad last year when Ron Darby went down, but then he, he started cooking, uh, in the second half of the season. And so everybody thought there was going to be a continuation of that, man. They, they got rid of Ron Darby and let him be the, the number two corner. And it has been brutal over there. And you had to know everybody was going to pick on that because Pat Sertan's on the other side. You're just not throwing it, you know, you're not throwing it Sertan, but Damari keeps giving him reasons to throw at him. And it's, uh, it has not been good. Yeah, and obviously it's a, def- a different defensive structure, right? Because the Saints, all they run is man coverage. For them. I mean, it's not all they run, but they run a ton of it. Um, you know, the Packers were smart enough to just say, hey, we're going to target the hell out of Isaac Yadam because he's not, you know, Marcus Lattimore or any of those other guys out there. So if they get into a similar situation, I would assume they'd do the same thing to Mathis. they just say, hey, where's 27? We're throwing at 27 if we need one. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, that, that's pretty much that's been the strategy everybody's had. Uh, the Broncos have struggled against speed, speed running backs and, and anybody throwing a 27. And that's been the thing. They'll just uh, all of a sudden they'll, they'll like uh, they'll, they'll they'll move somebody in motion or they'll line it up to where they're like, OK, all right. Now we've got uh, Devontae Adams on Damari Mathis. Here we go. Uh, you know, or, or, who you know, whomever uh, it, the, the case may be, whoever they want to get the ball. And that's that's really just kind of been how it goes. I mean, there have been times when we've had to put Pat Sertan on a tight end when the when they were playing uh, Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs. So you can imagine what the receiving core matchups look like at that point, and it's it's right. it's just not been good. As far as the Packers' offense goes, um, again, most of these guys should be healthy. I mean, Aaron Jones has been practicing since Monday, I believe. Uh, so it looks like his hamstring is finally, you know, on the up and up. That will be huge because they just had no speed out of the backfield at all. I mean, we talked about, you know, Emmanuel Wilson's a question mark. Patrick Taylor was, you know, a third down back. AJ Dillon is pretty much the same thing as Patrick Taylor at this point. Um, so getting Aaron Jones out of the backfield would be a, a huge boost to the team just because Christian Watson, it doesn't seem like they do any lateral stuff with him this year. They haven't this year. So everything is just 
down the sideline and love is just willing to throw it into double, triple coverage, miss those, miss those throws. So you got to get some team speed somewhere. And I think Aaron Jones is going to be that guy. The offensive line should be straight. Um, you know, Elton Jenkins full blown back at practice, John Runyon Jr. And Zach Tom who have been dealing with the injuries the past couple of games, um, you know, are, are not even on the injury report. So hopefully we figure out something. One thing that the Packers did mention um and I think they kind of let it slip because it's been the players saying it is like we're leaning into the Miami Dolphins stuff this week um, and, and moving forward and, you know, coming out of the bar, all that stuff. I think that's interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, you're playing a team that surrendered 70 points to that same offense this week. Right. So that seems mighty convenient. And then two, I think they just want to be able to get these guys open. Um, they're not creating a whole lot of separation and, Using that out motion, which if they are running the Miami stuff, you'll know what I'm talking about when you watch the game. Um, that that does help a lot, getting those late stacks, all that stuff. Um, it creates a whole lot of communication problems when the guy who you think is the slot is no longer the slot, and it all happened in a half a second, and now he's running full speed at you. All right. Um, we'll see how that matchup ends up working out. Yeah, and that's been the thing. I mean, you know, defensively, communication on that kind of stuff. And, you know, motion has taken over the league, finally. Uh, it's it's only taken, you know, a few years, but it's so taken the, over the league. So the Dolphins are at something, it's like uh, 80% of their snaps yeah. are motion, and 78 are the guys are in motion at the snap. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's crazy. Which, Nuts. Which is, uh, which is funny. When the Rams had the highest motion, I think it was five years ago, at 9.7% uh, in the league. Uh, the Broncos, of course, naturally with Sean Payton bringing up the rear in motion in the league this year. So uh, just just something to kind of keep your eye on uh, there. The fact that we McCarthy's don't doing his work, too. I've seen it. Yeah. Cowboys yeah, fans are all asking Packers fans this week. Wait, is this what it's like always? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is what it's always been like. Um, right. Let's get a prediction. What do you think about this game? I think the Broncos can win it. Uh, I think they're fully capable of winning this one. Um, I think they're also capable of snatching defeat from the jaws of imminent victory, as I've seen several times this year. So uh, there's certainly that. I, I'm going to pick the Broncos to win this one, but it wouldn't surprise me either way. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Packers blew them out either. Um, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where this is a, full, a team that is fully capable of beating the opponent in front of them, and somehow coaching will find a way to make that not happen. I don't know if I'm going to be confident about making this pick a quarter into the game. So I'm just going to defer. I'm just not going to do it. I, I honestly don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know what the hell is going on with either of these teams. Um, they both had an extended rest. Like, well, we'll see their best shot. And one of them is going to come away sorely disappointed. Um, but let the people know how they can listen to you. If they want to listen to you between now and the time uh, the games kick off, if they want a Denver Broncos perspective. Well, we're on 850 AM KOA, which is a 50,000-watt station. You can hear us in, like, 32 states and, like, 13 countries. So, um, you know, if you uh, if you want to listen to me be be upset that we hired Sean Payton and how his archaic offense is being run, I, I'm, I'm here for that. Um, you can certainly do that, or you can stream us uh, on the web just about anywhere. You can uh, unfollow me on Twitter at AlbrightNFL. It's a dumpster fire. I wouldn't follow me. Um, you know, other than that, uh, yeah, leave me alone. I, I don't want to be bothered. Great stuff. Um I think later on this week, we're going to have some interesting stuff on the feed. Uh, we're going to have a tr a Packers trivia game, I believe, if all things go right. And then uh, for Cheddar or Worst is going to be published on uh, Saturday. So check that stuff out, guys. Stay tuned to the feed. Uh, keep up to date with the website. Again, um, we're recording this before Thursday or Friday's injury report. So you might want to fact check us on a couple of those things um, down the line. So 
Thanks for thanks for tuning into the feed. Five star reviews. Thank you very much.